So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right, everyone's cup is filled, um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still, uh, you know, the, the prospects for retirement, uh, even even the ability to afford a home today is, is just, it, it, it's, it's outside of the reach of so many very hardworking Americans. The system is not serving them. Uh, this, the system stratifies wealth uh, through asset inflation and uh, in disproportionate access to, to assets. Welcome to the Tucson Blockchain Podcast, and today I have on Dr. Chris Dark from the Dr. Dark After Dark Podcast. Uh, you may have also seen him on Twitter. He is a pretty incredible guy and had some really awesome takes on the world and where things are going. We talked about a wide range of topics from Bitcoin to uh, the macro environment, and I felt like I learned a lot from him. Best part, though, is that he actually has a pretty hopeful outlook on the future, and I thought that was a breath of fresh air. So I hope you enjoy. All righty. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Uh, Dr. Chris Dark has an awesome podcast called Dr. Dark After Dark, and I would encourage you to check it out. I uh, heard or I found the podcast um, after he had a fed up biz owner who was also on mine. Um, and I've just been really enjoying it. And we were initially going to discuss uh, energy as the new world reserve currency, but um, we both felt that it'd probably be more important to talk about the current events just because there's so much going on right now. I think you have a pretty interesting take on it coming from Hong Kong. So uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. So what do you foresee over the next month happening? Uh, probably, well, not chaos yet. That's probably after November the 3rd. But um, it, a, lot of, a lot of choppiness in markets, probably a lot of volatility. So, you know, volatility can rise when you've got, um, like, if you're going against the trend. So if you think about in March this year, uh, Stocks are being up and up and up, and then they went down really quickly, and you had a big spike in volatility. But volatility can also rise if you're just whipsawing up and down in a range, which is could well be what's going to happen now. I mean, you know, we've just had sort of the world's fastest recovery from COVID, and who, who knows if Trump's fully recovered or not? Um, probably not. But you know, no one could get straight answers out of anyone about his health, and you know, we saw the markets dumping on Friday, coming back on Monday, and everything was timed for when futures were closing and opening. And, you know, it's, it, it just seems that the next month's just gonna be more of this madness all the time. And the next kind of, you know, if you remember this time last year, it was all about the China trade deal. That was kind of the, the thing that everyone kept talking about. And 
was driving a lot of people nuts on Twitter because um, because everyone knew it was just it was not going to be a big thing anyway. You know, even if they did buy everything, like it, it was pretty small in terms of the grand scheme of things. But markets cared about it, and then the new thing now is, of course, the kind of second major kind of um, stimulus package, um, which may or may not happen before the election, and may or may not happen after the election, depending on what happens. So whilst I know not everyone likes talking about politics, and again, I might say things that offend some people, but I honestly don't care who wins the election. I'm not American. I don't vote. I don't know who I'd vote for if I was in America. Politics in Europe, where I'm from, originally are very different, very, very different. So, um, you know, but um, I think the next month's going to be, yeah, just volatility. And um, in some ways, I just hope one of the two wins by a mile. And then, you know, we don't have to have like all the craziness in um, November and December. So that's a lot of the stuff that Fed Up's talked about many times. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about um, how probably the best way to avoid violence is just for there to be a landslide election. And I'm kind of hoping for that too, because I don't want to see the American cities burned down, but yeah, it, it is interesting. It seems like uh, uh, a lot of foreigners are pretty uh, outside of the United States are pretty in tune with American politics because it has such a big impact on monetary um, policy across the world. And that's been what I've been hearing a lot from a lot of macro people right now. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, and but on that, like America matters more than every country in the world put together when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I'm British, I live in Hong Kong, you know, I spent a lot of time in China, and China, you know, is obviously the second biggest economy. Um, but but even you know, the own, but it still doesn't have the impact in many ways, like, and maybe it's similar now to what Japan did in the 80s, um, in terms of being the second biggest. But the U.S. is the reason people care about U.S. politics is it matters. Honestly, it doesn't really matter if Boris Johnson wins losers in the global stage. It absolutely matters in the U.K. and maybe Europe. People in Asia don't care. Most people in the U.S. don't care. Um, but U.S. does matter. So, um, you know, and um, again, so people from the outside, like I, I'm looking outside in. I'm looking at all the different data sources, which may or may not be right. We don't know. Um, but um, but yeah. It's um, people care because it matters. So America's whatever you think of America, it's still the most important country when it comes to econ- ec- economics. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. As far as the data being hard, hard to decipher, I've had uh, somebody come on the podcast talking about how the inflation metrics are uh, incorrect, and he had a pretty compelling argument for it, having compiled his own inflation calculator, and then. Um, I'm also talking with somebody right now who compiles their own uh, national debt information and which is completely different than uh, what is presented. <laughs> I assume theirs is a little bigger. So it, yeah. yeah, it's not, uh, it's not 27 trillion. It's oh yeah. We hit 27 yesterday, didn't we? So apparently, yeah, <laughs> but it's zero like, in the end. It's like 137 <laughs> trillion, I think is what yeah. she said. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, why why do Ameri- why do you think American politics impact the rest of the world so much? Well, I mean, okay, so why don't we think about? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the thing that matters. If you knew one thing in macro every day, um, it was what if you could know one piece of data every day. It's not is the S and P going up or down. You'd need to know is the U.S. dollar going up or down, 
if you knew that every day, you would print infinite money, not by trading, even if you didn't trade currencies, because it so much is correlated. Um, you know, so traditionally, you know, you, commodities would have a negative correlation with the dollar. Why? Because they're priced in dollars. Generally, the stock market does. Generally, bonds correlate with the dollar. Not always. Um, and so, you know, gold tends to correlate negatively with the dollar, but didn't in 2019. So um, the point is, is the US dollar matters gigantically. And again, whether or not we're getting towards the end of its reign, which we might be, um, and like you said, you know, we think about talking about energy as the next reserve currency. I mean, I don't think that the next currency, reserve currency, will be a fiat currency. I mean, if it's not the dollar, it can't be anything else. I mean, unless there's some weird basket, but really, it's going to confuse people. I mean, you're going to have, what, 30, weight the basket by GDP? I have no idea, but it doesn't seem that simple. Um, and there's no other fiat currency that can touch it. Um, so, so that's why it matters. It's, it's really the dollar. And anyone that isn't... It, it's really hard to have sometimes currency can be really difficult so it's not so hard sometimes if it's emerging markets versus us dollar that can be you know very long kind of relatively simple trends but right now in terms of dollar versus the major major currencies it's just chopping around and no one has a clue which way it's going to go mm -hmm. um, there are very smart people that think it's going to rocket up and very smart people that think it's going to crash down mm -hmm. although most of them in the long run think it's going down um, I don't know anyone that thinks in a 10 year plus scenario, and you've got to think in long term here, like that it's going to be super, fiat's going to be super strong because governments seem hell bent on destroying the value of paper currency, you know, which is in effect good for people investing in harder currencies, whether it be, uh, well, I'm going to say Bitcoin's a commodity because it isn't a currency yet. You can't use it, in, it doesn't fulfill the, 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 the three things of a currency. Um, I can't go and spend it in Starbucks. Um, but equally, I can't really, I can't do that with gold either. Um, but, you know, property um, and all sorts of other kind of hard assets, whether it be art or um, wine or limited edition cards or anything that's like unique. You know, so basically things that are scarce, I think are going to be very interesting in the next kind of 10 years to own. Yeah, I was talking to my mentor who's in the real estate business here in Tucson, and he's uh, been talking about how hot it's been uh, because housing is something that's scarce, and so it has value, uh, and people are kind of rushing to those scarce assets to preserve their wealth because they, I think everybody's kind of in tune with that. You can't just print trillions of dollars without it eventually devaluing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's pretty... It, trying to figure out what's happening right now, it'll definitely make your head spin because you're right. People who are very smart are saying very opposite things. And um, Yeah, but a lot of it's just due to the timing. Okay, mm -hmm. so for example, if we take, so I know like Brent Johnson pretty well. Uh, I don't know Luke Groman, but I've listened to a lot of his stuff and they obviously have very different views on US dollar, but actually it's a different short-term view to medium-term view. In the long run, they both agree that it's probably going to be going down. In the, but, but, you know, and you know, Brent thinks it will spike before it does because of dollar shortage in the world, just like happened in March. In effect, we get a second dip in the, in the global economy, which is perfectly plausible. It could happen. Um, I mean, if governments weren't doing all this stimulus right now, and probably none more is possible in Europe, that's probably done for now. They only just agreed the last one. And, and it was pretty touch and go at some points. And so, 
you could easily have a you know a, a, a classic double dip like we had in the um, or US had in the um, early 80s, um, which is again, yeah, and that actually used to be very common having double dips. Um, but you know it, it's um it's interesting though because all hard assets have pros and cons. So I did a podcast before on hard assets. Uh, it was called Framework for the 2020s, and it was all about hard assets. And my point in it was you want to think about liquidity. So if, if you look at, if you ask people when was the first gold ETF, most, unless people know when it was, they're probably going to guess gold ETFs have been around for decades. It's not true. They've been around since about 2003, oh. uh, which is, that was when it, it took a long time to be approved. So by the way, people thinking Bitcoin ETF tomorrow, like, and I know that's been the meme, like for, you know, held Bitcoin for many years. I get the memes and like, um, it's going to come, but it could be five, 10 years away. It's pop, the gold bugs wanted this in the eighties, the nineties, like it took time. Um, and it's a perfectly good proxy, but what happened as soon as ETF came in 03, it, the gold price started rocketing and it wasn't due to, that wasn't because of 07, 08, that hadn't happened yet. Um, and so you had this, you know, really good, uh, running gold around then. Um, and the point is, is that the most liquid, my point is the more liquid an asset is, the better it's going to be, but it's got to be liquid. So you could say, well, Bitcoin's very liquid. Sure. But it's not liquid if you're, if you're trading accounts on Fidelity, um, or Schwab, because the only way as of right now, you can then get access to Bitcoin is by buying futures and you might not be allowed to trade futures. So, um, you know, there isn't just a simple ETF and most people are still not registered on whatever coinbase or whatever it might be um so and, and so property has always been relatively illiquid because it takes time H having said that and it doesn't need things to necessarily be tokenized but the securitization of property is starting to happen much more that will give more liquidity um but the downside of property is it can be taxed very easily you can't move your land <laughs> so i mean i think anyone that's thinking I think there's one thing fairly certain in the next 10, 20 years is that at some point, governments are going to have to start raising taxes uh, in a fairly big way um, to, to, to try and pay off the debt. Um, or maybe they just don't care and try and inflate it away. But in effect, that's kind of like a tax anyway. Um, but property is very easy to tax. So you can, you know, there's all sorts of taxes you can put on it. Um, but just like, you know, gold was in effect, <clears throat> illegal to own in the 30s in the US. Um, the same might happen to something like a Bitcoin, but then other countries won't do it. And, you know, there's, um, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. So my point to people is always, why put all eggs in one basket? Like, for a start, it's going to be more volatile. And, um, and if, you, you know, if you spread the risk a bit and you can kind of rebalance between it, it's generally a better way in the long run. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty excited. There's been some pretty crazy headlines around Bitcoin this year uh, that will provide more liquidity through, uh, you know, different uh, services like PayPal and Venmo, potentially offering uh, Bitcoin uh, buys because Cash App's been doing it for a while and they've been very, very successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, they just, and they're making real money on it. Yeah, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. Actually, it's significantly helping their business. Yeah. And you think PayPal's not looking at that and going, I need a piece of that? Of course they are. Um, but also, I think the most important thing, which went a little under the radar, but not really. I mean, in Bitcoin, in crypto Twitter, people were talking about it. But when the 
the office, office of the controller of the currency in the US who had recently joined from Coinbase. He was the chief legal officer at Coinbase before. So they're one of the many regulators of US banks and they allowed, um, well, basically said US banks will be allowed to custody uh, Bitcoin um, on behalf of, of, of clients. And uh, this, for those in the kind of banking sector, this is a little bit like having kind of a, a, a enabling kind of prime brokerage and stuff like that for Bitcoin. And so whilst you've had people like Fidelity and other big names kind of really because Abigail Johnson, the CEO, she's like been very pro uh, Bitcoin and blockchain for a long time. They've kind of got ahead of the curve, but now the regulatory hurdles are kind of being moved out of the way. Um, and, and I think that, and, and, and for instance, you know, one of the memes in Bitcoin for years has been, you know, basically when are the institutions going to be buying? And well, you know what, they just want to, you know, I'd, I'd run a, a venture capital firm before and dealt with many, they're called limited partners, LPs, which are pension funds, high net worths, people like that. And pension funds want to be using the tools they know. They're not going to go and make a, an account on Coinbase because if something goes wrong, the guy doing it gets fired um, and they don't want to get fired. Family officers can be different. They can absolutely, you know, if the, the family likes something, they can absolutely go into something earlier. And that, that started to happen a few years ago with Bitcoin. Um, but it's still got tiny adoption, right, in terms of, but so is gold. I mean, gold's about half a percent of, um, if you look at institutional assets. And, it, and its long-term average has been more like three or four percent. Um, and you know, Bitcoin is going to be like 0, 0.0 whatever percent. So um, in terms of asymmetric trades right now, Bitcoin is, for me, the um, well, asymmetric trades in an asset that's still many hundreds of billions in size. It seems to be the kind of obvious one right now. Um, but it, hey, it could still go down to 5,000, right? I mean, anyone that says it can't is, well, they're frankly lying. Of course it could. Um, I think we're probably past the point where it can go to zero. But, you know, upside, there is no limit. I mean, 100,000, yeah. a million. It, it, it's just, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah. As, as we were talking about before, like, you know, gold bugs and Bitcoiners, for some stupid reason, love to, like, sort of hate each other. And I mean, the, the meme of the biggest meme of all is Peter Schiff with this, right? You know, he's a very smart guy, super smart guy. He sells gold, though. And so that's what you've got to remember is what is always know what someone's um biases are uh, he, he sells precious metals that's his main business and products surrounding them so of course he's gonna come out in favor of gold but the arguments of gold bugs bitcoiners whatever 95 percent of the arguments are identical when it comes to fiat money the, the fact that politicians are not going to be stop themselves printing money what do you think they're going to They're going to right now? Are they going to raise taxes? Or are they going to print more money? Well, ninety nine point nine out of one hundred politicians are going to do the latter, and that's the same everywhere in the world. It's no different anywhere. So um, that just means that whilst fiat currencies might, which is going to go up and down between U.S. dollar and euro, honestly, no one knows. But but if if, if they're just all being basically inflated, money supplies. And this is where the nuance comes in, right? Like you can print a lot, you can tr print trillions of dollars and a lot of it doesn't actually enter the money supply because banks have to lend in order to do that. So there, there are a lot of subtleties here too, but, but some of it does leach out for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think Peter Schiff is honestly a great marketer. I would have never heard of him had he not been trashing Bitcoin. So I think it's a good right, yeah. way to, <laughs> to capture a younger audience for sure. But uh, it's great. I turn off his podcast though when you get, so those who listen to his podcast, it's roughly 50 minutes to an hour, right? And exactly 39, 41 minutes in, he always says, oh, I've forgotten to talk about Bitcoin, like every time. And then I just turn it off because there's no point. And sometimes you might want to turn it on, you know, just fast forward five, ten, however long he's going to go on about it. Like, but the first 40 minutes of his podcast are often literally just 100% agreement with what a lot of Bitcoiners say. Um, you know, it's just they disagree. It, it's a bit the way I think of it is like, um, you know, we're all on broadband, right? And you know what, the, 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 there's what's called the last mile, which is the connection in the UK, it's called last mile. In US, it's probably last 100 miles. But um, it's the connection from the exchange. Uh, and then originally was a copper wire and now could be more fiber optic, right, to your house. And that last mile um, <clears throat> was, um, it, it, it's basically the bit that Bitcoiners and um, um, gold bugs disagree on. But everything from the exchange backwards, they agree, all the infrastructure, all the kind of meat of the argument, they, they agree 100%. Um, so, but look, I, I, I own both in equal, pretty much equal amounts. So, I mean, about 25% allocated to both. So, um, so and I, I always like to say when I'm invested in because it means people can work out what my biases are. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty That's pretty good. Yeah, I am super biased against Bitcoin because I'm almost all in on it. I uh, had a pretty fair uh, um, equity uh, position leading into COVID. And as soon as the bounce came in, I, I got out real quick because I was expecting that double bounce and um, or dead cat bounce is what I like to call it. But uh, uh, Right. But if you put it into Bitcoin, let's say, so I've, I've just been avoiding equities pretty much for most mm -hmm. of this year. But Bitcoin has been correlating. So if you look at the low Bitcoin and, and the NASDAQ, right? So let's give a bit more juice by using the NASDAQ because um, it's gone up more than the S&P, right? Um, I mean, Bitcoin went down to say 4,000. It's now at roughly 11, so it's almost done 3X. Um, well, the NASDAQ hasn't even doubled. So actually Bitcoin's way outperformed. So whilst I, some people are like, oh, I've got to be in stocks. Well, why? <laughs> I mean, there's no law that says you have to be. By the way, in the long run, you probably do because of dividends and compounding and you know, the Warren Buffett angle, right? Sure. Um, but in times like now, where there's a lot of uncertainty, I mean, Bitcoin outperformed um, stocks um, for sure since, since the dip um, in, in March. And, um, but it's been correlating very highly with NASDAQ recently. Now it's had times in its life where it's correlated very highly with gold. It's had times where it's correlated with absolutely nothing. And it's just been kind of pretty much random, which is why it's such an interesting asset because it actually doesn't really, correlate but right now it's very much sort of a risk on correlation but that will change at some point um so that's why i think it's so interesting because it's kind of my proxy to equities right now but at the same time i know there's only over 21 million so if the fiat gets out of control like completely out of control like as in 10 trillion stimulus 50 trillion stimulus i mean this is possible right um especially if there's a democrat you know the, the last two weeks have said it's more likely to have a democratic sweep um, and again, whether you love or hate Trump, I'm just saying what the numbers say. Um, 
and then you're going to get stimulus checks and the amount of the packages i mean they'll be double figure trillions very quickly uh, they'll probably do some good infrastructure stuff which the us desperately needs driving on us roads and you know the train tracks and stuff it's kind of embarrassing compared to europe and asia um but and it seems to be the one thing both parties could have agreed on for years but have never done anything about it so probably because politicians always have their pet projects but um but um but yeah i mean it, you know if you think of the election now like i mean i was just looking back at the numbers from i, I looked at october the 5th four years ago so clinton was four and a half percent ahead right now um in the national polls which of course is not that important you know just based on how um and i'm talking about the presidential race so um and biden's 7.3 right now okay so he's a few percent ahead by clinton was but what people forget is clinton had a surge during the second and third debate and she peaked at the third debate which was like the 18th of october and of course we have no idea if there's going to be a second or third debate or whatever um and she peaked with like a seven percent lead and then she rapidly plunged after that and on election day she was three percent up and actually, she won the popular vote by, I think, 2.1%. So really, the polls were not very far off at all. In fact, they, I think Nate Silver said they were the most accurate they've been in a long time, except some of the swing states like Michigan and um, you know, um, Pennsylvania and stuff like that. Kind of, um, you know, trouble in Michigan by, what, 10,000 votes? Uh, Florida was tight, as always. Um, so a lot could still happen. Um, Biden's further ahead, and he seems to have momentum right now. But maybe we've had the October surprise with the fastest recovery from COVID ever, but um, there's still four weeks to go. Um, but it, it just, you know, I think the Senate's much more interesting race. That's much tighter. Mm. So. And, and in some ways, yeah, in every way is important because the difference between the Democrat sweep and if Republicans keep the Senate is like night and day in terms of what can be passed. So, um, but again, we don't know if, if Trump loses, let's say the presidency, but they keep the Senate. And I mean, the House is almost certainly going to, I mean, the House is much more along the lines of national vote, just the way it works. I mean, it's, there's almost no scenario where Republicans win the House. I guess it's possible, but incredibly unlikely. Um, I mean, I guess there'll just have to be a massive polling error, like gigantically. Um, um, but um, yeah, the um, no one knows what and this is where again there's uncertainty so people so no one really knows how republicans would in the, in the senate would react in that situation are they going to say begrudgingly pass a small stimulus or are they just going to say no we're not passing anything we're going to try and screw you democrats for four years or two years until the next kind of cycle happens in the senate we just don't know so i think much more interesting for me is what happens in the senate and it's definitely closer um but um yeah i mean um and so in terms of like how people can trade all this again anyone that has a surefire way of making money in the next three months is probably a little bit deluded um if the way i've thought of it is just more probability so like if if, if you get either a stimulus now that's big say two trillion plus or you get a sweep of either Republicans or Democrats, because if either of them sweep, then they're going to do stuff, right? It's much more likely they do stuff, yeah. um, including stimulus. And um, then almost certainly you will see the dollar fall because Europe just can't, people always talk about the DXY, 
right? The Dixie, but they don't always say it's 60% Euro. So really the only thing that matters is US Euro in that. Um, that's really the vast majority of it. And so in Europe, they're not gonna do more stimulus for a long time. Um, it's, just not, it's just not politically gonna happen. So if you have a giant thing in US that could absolutely um, devalue the US dollar more, which would be very, very bullish for probably equities, probably gold, probably Bitcoin. It's probably gonna be really bad for bonds. Um, and you know we've seen that just in the last week. Um, you know there was before the first debate, there was a lot of talk that you know Biden is it can't stand up to Trump. He's going to like say stupid stuff. He's going to people like saying oh he's going to stop talking in the middle of a sentence and like whatever. But he didn't. He was fine. I mean it was a complete crapshoot the debate. I somehow managed to watch it and just was just like well there's only one loser here, which is kind of politics but um and or, or america i guess one could argue but um the entire world <laughs> yeah but that's true unfortunately yeah um but i had before the debate i because everyone was convinced not everyone but a lot of people and you've again got to be remember that twitter polls are not polls they're completely massively biased so the average yep. twitter poll right now is two to one that trump will win the election it's, it's, just look at any big poll and it's generally about that uh, now, it, of course, it's not if it's from the Democratic Party. You've got to see who's done the poll. But um, And why? It's because it, on FinTwit, a lot of people are financial people and they lean more Republican because they have, on average, more money and they want to pay lower taxes. It's kind of simple. Um, and um, interestingly, the betting markets are kind of in the middle. They're like 60% Biden right now. Um, and, betting, uh, and then, but the actual polls are more like 80% Biden right now. So like, so, so Twitter's saying 66% Trump and the polls are saying like 20% Trump. Well, that's a, I looked at that and thought, well, that's a really interesting discontinuity. And so I thought to be contrarian, my view was like, I think Biden's going to do much better than people think in the debate. So I basically sold a bunch of like um, longer duration treasuries and like options in that thinking I can buy them back at a better price. Because if Biden seems to be doing fine in the debate, um, people are gonna think it's more likely the Democrats sweep and then we're gonna get a huge stimulus and then bond yields are gonna go crazy up high. And then, and then the Fed will come in and just buy crap tons and yields will come down again. But the ultimate loser there will be the currency. Something actually has to always, um, so, so, so far you know, we're up 20 basis points since then. 30 year yields were 1.4, now they're 1.6. So that's kind of been playing out, except now, of course, people are thinking there might be stimulus now, which again, may or may not happen. Um, but the point is, is like, whilst I was saying I was like roughly 25% gold, 25% Bitcoin, which generally are gonna do well when the dollar goes down. Um, still, I still have, even though I sold some, a good allocation to long duration treasuries, which will do well when the dollar goes up generally, but not always. Um, so someone told me once, a wise man, like if you're looking at a portfolio and everything's gone up, in a day don't think you're smart because that means there will be days where everything goes down <laughs> yeah and you had, and, and this has happened recently right there were times where everything because bonds and equities are meant to have a negative correlation they don't always and they absolutely didn't in 2019 but like there were times a few months ago where gold was up bonds were up equities were up um, the only thing that would have gone down would be the dollar um, Bitcoin was up, like everything, commodities were up. And, um, but equally what happened a month or 
six weeks ago, you had days where the exact opposite happened, where everything went down. So you actually want to have things going up and down in your portfolio each day because it shows you actually do have some hedges in it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a long run game. You want to compound this stuff every year. Um, although, look, if you're young and don't have a family to support and love something like Bitcoin, go for it. I mean, um, that's in effect what I did years ago. And I, I don't have any problem with that either. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the time preference in investing is really important. And taking the emotions out of uh, where you're putting your money is a huge skill set. I, uh, that's something I really appreciate about Bitcoin Twitter because when the price goes down, well, there's, there, I think there's good people to follow and bad people to follow and the bad people to follow are the people that are, you know, the price moves 2%. They're posting, oh, it's going down to, you know, 5K or, you know, and then it goes up 2%. They're posting, oh, it's going to hit an all-time high in 30 days. And those are probably the worst people to get investment strategies from. Um, but the people that I love are the ones that are, uh, posting screenshots of their ridiculous bio orders, what the days that it goes down, um, because that's just, um, and that's one of the things that was interesting in your interview with uh, Raul was, uh, that's one of the things he's talking about is um, a lot of times to win big on, on these investments, you have to really hold on during tough times. And the example that I hear probably the most is with Amazon. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Having gone up and down, you know, potentially 90% and, you know, people saying that it's a stupid company and that they don't make any money. But had you have held that investment for a long time and seen the potential of where it was going to go, you know, you want to one big. But yeah, the, the idea of hedging is also really interesting. It, it's something I used to do more, but um, uh the way that I look at it now is like, I like the certainty of knowing that fiat currencies are just going to fail. They're going to go to zero. Um, or that's just what I believe. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any way out unless they were going to start practicing sound money principles, which is impossible based on the way that our economies are built. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's really, a timing. It's a time scale though, right? You know, is that happening tomorrow? Probably not. Is it happening in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. when the world reserve currencies change, it's a process. So like the last time it changed was really pre-World War One. it was the pound. I mean, it, it really was. And then World War One, things started to change a bit throughout the 25-year period to World War Two, And then after World War Two, it was basically obviously the dollar. But it was a process that took time. It wasn't just like one day everything changed. Um, and... But like Merle was saying, like, I mean, okay, so crypto Twitter is a good one, right? So there's a lot of noise and you can, I mean, at the end of the day, if you believe in Bitcoin for whatever reason, and there are many reasons to believe in it, um, then uh, just who cares? <laughs> like if it goes down or up 2% in a day. And by the way, I remember the days where it was going down 50% in a day. I wasn't involved and it was going down. 80% in a day or 90%, which did happen in, in like 11, 12, right? Or mm -hmm. up. Um, um, so, but I absolutely remember the days when it was, um, yeah, I mean, 40, 50% in a day, sure. Uh, now, it went up sometimes that too. Uh, but it's so hard not to get emotional. Um, one way I found to do it is just to, to, to force yourself to like um, 
it's like, you know, if it gets to this number, I'm selling some, or if it gets to this number, I'm buying some, whatever the asset might be. And then you write it down and you just do it. And you do it without thinking, because the point is, is you're just trying to take emotion out of it. Um, but I think it's probably the hardest thing in investing. Like, how, I mean, how, how many people bought Bitcoin at $1 and held it? I mean, very few. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid to do that too, you could argue, because you know, if you've done a 10,000 X on something, then you probably want to diversify. Um, but it just, it just does depend on your stage of life, what you're trying to achieve. If you really want to accumulate, then you've got to take risks. But as Raoul's point, which I think is a good one, is like, look, you can either own your own house or own enough money. That means you can just be okay for a period of time. Now, if you're 22, you might want to have three months of money, six months, because you know, well, I can go and get some job anyway, I'll be fine. If you have a family with kids, well, you're probably going to want several years of, of, of money um, because it's just a different mindset. Um, if you're 65 and literally retiring, well, you're probably not particularly smart putting 100% Bitcoin, which might halve the next week. So um, that's why you know people ask me all the time about portfolio allocations and recommendations. And I'm always just like, look, I'm happy to say what I do, but like everyone's got a different, completely different um, situation. Mm -hmm. And again, never, you know, like someone like Raul, like he, he will explain his thought process but he's not going to say you should therefore buy this and not that. Like it's, you know, in, the, in these exact amounts, it's, it's different every time. Everyone has to make their own decisions because everyone's in a unique situation. So. Yeah. Everybody's risk tolerance is different and just perspective. Exactly. And, yep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that's, that's one of the things I really appreciate is listening to people with different perspectives too. And I'm always happy to have people that like fed up biz owner who don't believe in Bitcoin to come on the podcast because spoken to him many times about it yeah yeah but yeah um he kind yeah. of doesn't want to he's kind of funny he's like well i might care one day but i just don't want to and and i i would say to him well like what why i mean why why would you not want to understand something a bit more it doesn't mean and i'm like why don't you just buy ten dollars worth like have like a few thousand sats of it or whatever and at least you've then gone through the process to like you had to move money to a coinbase you've done whatever or cracking or whatever and um you know you, as soon as you have something of something and actually in some ways there's no point having a ten dollars because it's kind of irrelevant but like if you have you know whether a large amount of money is you know a hundred dollars a thousand dollars a million dollars a billion dollars whatever like you, if you have enough that it's like you notice it but if you lose it it doesn't matter then then um doesn't matter what the asset is, then you'll, you'll pay much more attention to it. And you probably dig in and learn a lot more about it. So a lot of hedge fund people started in Bitcoin. They just um, bought a little bit and then just added as they got more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like uh, Robinhood a lot too, for people getting into equity. Well, hopefully they don't spend too much time on wall street bets and getting into margin trading right off the bat. But uh, unfortunately that, yes, unfortunately that does happen though. So, I think they've been a little aggressive in allowing people to trade short dated options, um, which are just bets. I mean, let's mm -hmm. be very clear. That's I'm buying Tesla two week call option. It's a bet. <laughs> and yes, you can make 10 X and you can lose your money and you're overwhelmingly likely to lose your money. Um, but that happened. That's what really took the market by surprise. Like no one was anyone that said this in March is lying. Like, sorry, and as you can prove to me, they said it in March, but anyone that's trying to claim they said this in March, which was ultimately the tail started wagging the dog. 
So all these, because when you buy an option, you it's it's an option to a hundred shares, right? So there's sort of a hundred X leverage. It's it's not leverage in the sense of that you can then also lose more than you put in, but like um, so the likes of Citadel and other huge market makers who, who are selling you that option. I mean, those options are being sold generally by market makers. Um, they have to buy the underlying to hedge themselves. And, and people, there were so many options being bought that it actually started driving the underlying price. And options theory breaks if that happens. I mean, it won a Nobel Prize, Black Scholes, right? It's um, been used for decades. But it's um, that and along with passive investing, which uh, Mike Green's probably spoken the most eloquently about, uh, about 50% of flows now are passive. Well, that means it's just machines buying, selling, Apple, Microsoft, whatever. They don't care. They're just doing what the algorithm says. And the number of people actually setting the price, thinking, ah, well, which is the better company right now? That's just been going down and down very consistently for the last, since the mid-70s, since Jack Bogle and Vanguard came up with the first ETFs. So there's a lot of very structural things happening. But the the... Um, the amount of retail um, like investing that's happened this year took everyone by surprise. And, and I know now it's easy to say, well, some people got these stimulus checks and they, you know, they, they just put $1,200 into some call option. It made, it, it, it worked. And so they 10X their money. And, you know, before you know it, this is actually like a lot of um, actually exposure. But back in, March, most people saying, well, retail is irrelevant because it's institu institutions control all the flows. Like, I mean, I don't know anyone that called that ahead. I know people that said, oh, there's going to be a lot of liquidity. So that's probably good for stocks. Fine. Um, but that was kind of a, a, you know, a slightly different point. Yeah. I don't think anybody saw Davy Day Trader coming out. <laughs> I think he's awesome. I, I, have, I love I, him. I listen. Yeah. I, I, I always ask people, have you listened to his stream? And when people try and evade me, I know the answer is they have not. So like, I do not listen to every stream he does, but I have listened to five or six and I, I, I did watch the Scrabble one and, and I just so happened to be watching it and it was just hilarious. And I'm like, this guy is a genius at marketing and like, you know, and then the Green Hammer came and like, he, you know, I have no idea if he's going to get into a bunch of trouble or not or whatever, but like, the fact that he's everyone's talking about him and no one cares what Goldman Sachs think they care what I mean you could argue it doesn't matter what Goldman Sachs think because they're always going to be long like whatever makes them money but I think he's a breath of fresh air I think he's great I think people that think he's an idiot absolutely do not understand what his point is he's a marketing genius that's trying to um get more attention for himself and barstool sports and yeah and by the way anyone that's built a 400 million dollar business and sold it fair play to them yeah yeah, I need to get myself. I need to get myself a green hammer that might uh, further the podcast. I just love. Yeah, he just takes a meme and goes with it, right? And it's just like, and it seems ridiculous at first, and and then you know you watch it again a month later, and he's still got that bloody thing on his shoulder, and he, it's um, I I think it's great, and it's actually shaken up the industry, um, you know, whether for good or bad, I have no idea, but. I think, you know, more, more people that learn about investing is good. Um, but of course, like some people are going to lose their shirts. So, um, nothing always goes up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I liked, uh, I liked what Raoul said about building a foundation and like his suggestion of buying a house. Um, 
uh, and having something to fall back on. I think that's really important. And that's what COVID is really, really exposed is that people just do not have savings and it's really problematic. And, and part of that is just like the way that the money works is it, if you're going to lose purchasing power over time, it seems counterintuitive to save. And, you know, the typical person in America, um, at least, you know, when they get a raise at their job, they're going to go and add some more expenses, buy a little nicer car or move their kid to a nicer daycare or do something like that uh, versus put money away in case something happens in the future. Um, And that's super, super problematic. Um, One of my favorite videos is uh, I think Anthony Pompliano suggested it uh, on one of his podcasts, but how that economic machine works by Ray Dalio. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this talk about how, you know, you can't just rely on debt for for forever. There's going to inevitably be um, slowdowns in the economy. And the slowdowns are really, really healthy. um, I think for average people, because it puts into perspective of like, Oh, I need to save money. And, you know, quit buying all this stuff. And that's what 2008 was for a lot of people. Um, and it's interesting to look at charts of like average people's savings uh, going up after 2008. And I think that's what's going to happen here too. But um, yeah, the question is like, where can you put your money that won't just like completely well, well, sure. just- I mean, So there isn't much yield out there right now. Yeah. <laughs> so- and to be honest, where there is yield, which let's say yield farming in crypto, like, well, nah. yeah, you could be scammed the next day. So like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not in any way going to be a mainstream thing. But yeah, no, I mean, the savings rate did go up a lot um, in March and is still way elevated to where it normally was. But you're right that, you know, the fact that people need this stimulus package so badly to literally shelter their families and feed themselves shows there's a gigantic problem. Um, it doesn't matter what the stock market's doing. These people have no stocks. <laughs> so it is like, and you know, it's exactly the same as the late thirties that Dalio's spoken about that quite a lot. I mean, in effect, what you're getting is you're getting, there's this confluence. So sometimes in macro, like when two things kind of that maybe are or not related, but sort of start lining up, you can have real changes. So Dalio's point on debt cycles was generally that there's a short-term debt cycle, which is say four to seven years, although you could argue now it's 10 to 12 or whatever. Why? Because of the central bank interventions. Um, but you know, you've had ups and downs, but what tends to happen is the, you, but you get higher, higher lows in the, and, and higher highs in the debt to GDP levels every time. But then what happens is over about an 80 year period, roughly 70, 90 years, whatever, at some point that just kind of blows up because it's just got too much. Um, and um, so that happened in effect in the, I mean, it's a process again. So in the late twenties, thirties, early forties, and then you had, um, you know, that happened. And then people thought it had happened in 2008-9, but actually we're still in that same debt cycle because um, we haven't had the reset, which is, um, called deleverage. At the same time, we're having a human cycle, which has been talked probably best and most famously by Neil Howe, who wrote the book called The Fourth Turning, which he wrote mm. in the late 90s. It even says 2020. Um, it, it basically predicted 
around 08, 09, and then around 2020, about 10 years after, there's going to be two like events. And, but what he was really looking at was generations. And so <clears throat> it's called the fourth turning because there's a, a first turning, a second, a third, then a fourth. Well, how long's a generation? Well, it's about 20 to 25 years, roughly. Well, multiply that by four. Okay, you get to 80, 90 years. Oh, that's exactly the same length as the long-term debt cycle. And by the way, the first turning started after World War II. That's just when the debt cycle got reset. So these two frameworks are lining up right now to mean 2020s could be a year where, because basically what happens in the fourth turning is that's pretty much when everyone just, everyone of differing political views hates each other. Um, it happened in the 30s. They won't talk to each other. If you're a Democrat, I'm Republican. It is not possible for us to talk about, even if it's sunny, we will disagree. Yeah. We will yeah. disagree that one plus one equals two. Anything we say, we will disagree on. Um, and every conversation within about three seconds will start us slagging each other off and calling each other names. And, and, that's, and social media obviously made this much worse. Um, although, of course, it also gives you bubbles where, I mean, I don't use Facebook, but like when I go to my Facebook feed, it would look like the world's fine. <laughs> anyway, it's like, sorry, like as in we all agree, but it's because it's got certain biases, right? And if you look at someone else's, you'll be like, whoa, that's uh, really, that's what people are talking about. Um, so the whole point of all that is that we, we have these two cycles, the debt cycle, and I call it kind of the human cycle are coming together. And, and that makes me also very um, bullish on the future, but I just don't know when in the future, but let's say 2030s or beyond, because what happens is you get through both those cycles and whether there's debt jubilees or who knows, right? But then you tend to have some political upheaval Yes, there might be big riots and there tends to be like some form of either war or revolution that means people are going to reset the wealth gap to some degree. Um, and, um, and it could come from huge taxation. It could come, who knows how it happens? And it, but it will take time. But I, but I think, you know, one thing that keeps marching on is just technology. As Jeff Booth says most probably eloquently, it just exponentially gets better and better and better. And people now know what exponential growth means because of COVID doesn't mean 2468 it means 248632 um and that's not going to slow down so there's huge opportunities in the future we've just got to get through this you know, i think the next few years is about in effect surviving as an investor you might make some good trades here there sure um but um anyone with an say a, a, an appreciable amount of money you, you, you know in 10 years from now like I doubt many are going to have like, you know, five, 10 X it or whatever, um, because we're just in a world of zero yield. So, you know, what we you know, the, 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 it's like, it's very hard to compound this, but there'll be plenty of people who take big bets and lose. Um, now, maybe having allocation to Bitcoin is a, you know, an, an obvious way, um, you know, to, to, to play this game. Yeah, yeah world of uh, zero yields soon to be negative um yeah I don't, know, I don't know i don't know if the u.s we'll see it doesn't really matter like europe's already gone negative in japan but i i don't think jerome powell wants to be that guy but we'll see he may yeah, not have a choice yeah i remember i don't know if a lot of people remember this but i remember uh the president trying to push him to to negative yields or, or interest rates and i thought that was pretty uh mind-boggling but it's 
turned out to be one of the lesser mind-boggling things to happen recently. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think that perspective is really good because so many people right now are stuck in this kind of hopeless spiral of thinking everything is just going to end and having a long-term time preference is really, really important. And to be able to look back at other major upheavals throughout human history and say, you know, humanity was able to, this, we might not survive this, but I think there's probably a good chance that we will. And to look forward and say that there could be a better future where extreme wealth inequality is less and uh you know there is peace and there isn't such uh uh tribalistic polarization in society and it's as you were talking about that i i was thinking of um germany in the 1920s when um you know the the uh, national socialists were fighting the communists in the streets and kind of what's happening right now between different groups um you know, whether it's, you know, in Hong Kong or the U.S. or, you know, wherever, um, just people polarized on either side. And some of the people that have come on the podcast, uh, like the guys from WTF happened in 1971. We talked about how when times are good economically, people just have better things to do than to go out in the streets and fight each other or, or protest, um, you know, because they're, you know, uh, secure. And when that security goes, people start to go, go crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the future too. Um, in some ways, right. It's really simple. Okay. If the world's going to end, well, we're all fucked anyway. So there's not really much, I mean, literally if a, if a massive asteroid, okay, let's just, it's really simple. Think of it this way. Okay. There's a hundred mile asteroid that's that 50% chance if it hits the earth or not. And it either hits or doesn't. And we don't know, let's just say. Now, we ultimately would be able to work it out, but whatever. But there's nothing we can do to stop that. It's far too big, it's impossible. It's like Belgium hitting the earth. Like you can, like, there's really nothing we can do about it. We're, we're dead. Okay, sure. well, it's 50-50. Well, you know what, if it happens, well, you know what, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, maybe a few people somehow survive underground for a few um, months and whatever, but ultimately, Okay, fine. And it misses. Well, doesn't matter. It just gets ejected out of the solar system. It's fine. So the sort of the people who are perpetual doomsayers, I never understand because it's like, well, humans are ingenious. They're very ingenious. We do make progress on technology, you know, science. You know, um, we, we make progress on, um, uh, you know, on, on 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 cultural aspects generally. Now that that can be two steps forward, one step back. My science generally is not like that. It tends to just go forwards. There's arguments that maybe, you know, Concord was ahead of its time. Clearly, we went to the moon and haven't been back for a long time. There are some examples of things that there was a bit of a step back. But generally, science marches on because it builds. Cultural stuff, not always, right? Um, But, you know, generally, the world's more inclusive. Um, By the way, there's been far fewer wars than we used to have. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, just look at Europe over the last few hundred years. I mean every 20, 30 years, there was like massive Europe-wide conflicts. Um, you know, and this is when Europe had, you know, a lot of the world's uh, GDP. Um, and since World War II, there's been none. Now there have been conflicts, of course, but none have been big, you know, pan, well, global or indeed pan-Europe. So that's one good thing Trump's done is he's not started any wars. 
um, he's the first president for quite a while. You can love him or yeah. hate him, but I think that's a simple fact. Now, he hasn't necessarily brought the truth home that he said, but and again, you can get into an endless argument, but, you know, uh, there's, um, again, in, in Asia, there haven't been giant wars for a long time. I mean, think back to, well, I mean, there's two still wars going on, I guess, theoretically, which is North, South Korea and um, China, Taiwan. Um, and they've never really been resolved, but, um, but they're not hot wars. Um, so I just think, what's the point being pessimistic in the long run? There's nothing wrong with saying, I think in the next year or two, there might be some speed bumps. And here's what I'm doing to try and protect myself. Um, but, um, and again, if there's, um, let's say fiat currency is doomed over the next 50 years, let's just make up a number. And it in effect becomes a roughly hundred year experiment. Okay, well, that will lead to lots of opportunities too. Um, so I think one has to be, um, yeah, ha, 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 there's no point being overly pessimistic. Um, and generally people that are, are not successful. There's very few overly pessimistic billionaires out there. So. <laughs> And, you know, people would say, well, George Soros, whatever. No, I mean, he just absolutely nailed some massive trades that made him famous. But broadly, they're trading all the time. And yeah. like, again, there's very few people that build successful companies or whatever are overly pessimistic. So they're the people I tend to just tune out on Twitter because I just kind of, if someone's literally made themselves into a meme and every single post they make is the same point, it's the same thing, it doesn't matter what any data say, they say the same thing. I think they're like the most boring people on Twitter that I just stop following. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the mindset of an entrepreneur and an investor is somebody that is hopeful, you know, and instead of looking at solely the problems is looking at the opportunities. And so, so many people that are stuck in that mindset just right. won't bear any fruit. Right? I mean, mm. Raul and I talked about this, but I mean, I've started five businesses. Raul started two or three businesses. Like, I've had success and failure. Like, but America's great in that you can fail and it's not a problem. It could be a real issue in parts of Europe where you're like, and, and in Asia, you fail in Japan. Okay, you get stigmatized, big style. Um, and so they, um, and, I mean, China is much more like the US, where it's like, yeah, go for it. It's actually kind of very much kind of a it's not a communist country it's kind of a capitalism mixed with it in this kind of very interesting way i mean they learned a lot from what ussr did wrong um whether you know where they weren't allowed in effect to for people to actually build big companies that were important um and um so but i i really do believe everyone should i don't i, I know raul kind of took me up on this like i've always thought everyone should start a business but he's right in that not everyone's got the right mindset to start a business, but I think everyone should at least then work in an early stage business. Cause you could be the behind the scenes guy that adds the numbers up, or you could be the operations guru, you know, like the mini Tim Cook who like actually was the guy that, you know, when Steve Jobs changed the first iPhone from plastic to glass two weeks before launch date, Tim Cook made it happen. Well, Steve Jobs had no clue how to make it happen. Tim Cook made it happen. And that was one of the most incredible stories. Um, you know, you could be the person that, um, is the, the social glue that keeps everyone together, maybe more virtually these days, but, um, you know, or, or you're the best salesperson, or you're the best, whatever, but working in an early stage business, so i.e. a business with like less than 20 people, um, where everyone has to just muck in and get shit done, I think is really valuable. 
I totally get some people hate it, but I think it's a really good um, learning experience. It'll probably make you know if you want to try and start something or not. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and starting a business like it it is really hard. It's probably the hardest thing one ever does. Um, and you're you're overwhelmingly likely to fail. <laughs> but that's not being pessimistic. It's just it's just what the numbers are. Sure. Uh, but what will be sure is you'll learn a crap ton and you'll almost certainly be way more effective in whatever you do next. And I think much more employable too. You know, I, um, you know, I worked at Bain & Company like 15 or so years ago and in London and you know, they had a very regimented way that basically they wanted to hire a bunch of people who are identical, pretty much. So I called it like automatons. And they wanted to train you to basically at each level to pretty much have the identical skill sets of everyone else. Now, of course, people were good at different things and whatnot, but the system was really quite designed to make people very similar uh, until you kind of made, um, until you were a very, very senior partner when, when actually encouraged more to like branch out and think differently because they just wanted anyone to be replaceable by anyone else, like instantly. And it sort of was like a very interesting thing to see. I mean, it's an amazing company, but it kind of drove you kind of a, you know, if, if you're more creative, it drove you a bit nuts after three years sure. or so. Um, so, um, yeah. Probably similar to working at Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, well, there's definitely tax advantages to starting your own business, um, even if you're not going to do anything with it. That's um, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad talks about that, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, starting in, in a the US. So it is not necessarily the case in other countries. So yeah. In the yeah. UK, it's very little. There used to be, but not so much now. So yeah. that's very much dependent on where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, starting a business has been one of the greatest experiences I've had. I've just been learning and seeing things from a different perspective and, you know, watching my girlfriend start her business during COVID has been cool as well. Um, they're just, it, it gives you a whole different mindset to be solution oriented. And so many people just aren't, you know, like, and that's one of the, the things that's really a bummer right now is for some reason, people think that showing up to the voting booth, um, I won't argue whether it's, I have my own opinions on it, but people think that that somehow is going to be a problem solving activity, um, where, you know, going and voting for a politician doesn't determine what's happening in your local communities. It might have some effect, but the entrepreneur has, they see a problem and present a solution. And that's so much of what we need in Tucson uh, because we have massive poverty, terrible schools, and just not a lot of opportunity. Um, so, yeah. I, right, but I think that's really important what you said. So um, I haven't been to Tucson, but I have been to Arizona, like we talked about mm -hmm. before. And um, in November, and it was beautiful. It was just so nice. <laughs> um, a few years ago. And but so in the business I've started or co-founded or whatever, like or executive at, like you'd often have these like executive days where you know you the other execs and you'd be talking about like what are the traits we want to have in this company and whatever. And, and I always only ever said, there's one word I care about, and it, the word was curiosity. Uh, and, and actually, a lot of people I started businesses with and run them with agreed with me. And a lot of people in the room were kind of surprised that we thought this was the most important word. 
but it's to your point, it's about solution orientation. It's all the same thing. I'm curious to solve this thing. No one else is, so in a big company, it's like you think, oh, who can I ask that can solve it for me or tell me this is what we did last time? Well, actually in a small company, it's like, no, I have to solve it. And I may know nothing about, you know, it could be in a tech startup, you're either a developer, i.e. an engineer, or you're not. Pretty much how it works. And at first you're gonna need a bunch of engineers to build stuff. Now, of course, product's kind of in the middle, but then other people are generally selling or marketing or whatever. I mean, it's kind of what you, you do. And, um, you know, so you, know, you might be doing something you've never done before, but those that are curious, um, and I don't think this is taught that well in schools um, anywhere, even in the best, I have no idea what the best state is in the US for schools, but like... Um, Probably Iowa, but yeah. Okay, so... Right. Yeah. so Not important. Um, right, but okay, cool. I did not know that, so that's cool. Um, but I, I know in the UK, it's just, it's like, here are the problems, you know, you just work through the problems. It's a linear mm-hmm. thing. And, oh, you've solved the 10th problem. Well, you can stop now. And I was lucky when I was young that I was at a school that said, oh, you've, I was good at maths, but math, sorry, no, no S on the end. Uh, maths in the UK. And um, for whatever reason, the teacher's like, I, I completed all the maths books when I was like seven. I should have completed when I was like 11 or whatever. And um, so they just started giving me new stuff. And they just said, just, they said, we can't really teach you anymore because we don't really know. <laughs> so just do whatever you want. Here are, And they got me a bunch of books that they got from the local kind of the, the ne- next school for older kids. She said, do whatever you think is interesting because, you know, you've, you've done whatever we can teach you. And that was awesome because that taught me, um, you know, that in effect, I could just, oh, negative numbers seem interesting. Let's look at that stuff or whatever. Um, and that's why when I did my PhD, like in superconductors, um, it's the same thing. I think it's not everyone can do a PhD. I completely get that. But it absolutely means, you know, the only person that's going to figure out your stuff is you. And you're trying to do something no one else has done, else you wouldn't be doing it. You can't get a PhD by just, generally, you can't get it by just repeating what someone else has done. You generally have to do something new. And whilst your supervisor can help you, it's ultimately up to you to solve it. So I think curiosity is such an important thing. And by the way, like take now, like say in whether it's Tucson or, I mean, I I don't know the dynamics of Phoenix right now um, in terms of, I don't know if there are people moving in or out. I mean, New York, San Fran, you've got people moving out, right? So they don't want to be in big cities. Well, that's going to be huge opportunities. Um, You know, real estate, to your point earlier, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) Physically, it's going to be there. And, you know, there's going to be, cities are going to look different in 10 years. and you know what? Someone in their 20s is going to work that out. Um, and maybe they build the WeWork that should have been built. Um, you know, who knows? Post-COVID WeWork. And WeWork wasn't exactly the world's greatest business. But um, there's, you know, when there's, um, when there's difficulty, there's always opportunity. Um, and, and, and the other thing you said on voting, like, I, I mean, so in Australia, you're pretty much forced to vote it's not you don't have to it's kind of a little weird but they have very very high turnout and a lot of people don't like it because a lot of people say well you know what i just think all the politicians are idiots you can just spoil you you can spoil the paper so um so i I don't believe in forcing people to vote but i i i controversially have a view that the ballot box is important um it's i mean honestly the peaceful transition from whichever party to whichever party in Europe, in US, and increasingly in Asia, has um, 
is, is a huge foundation for the world. And I do believe ultimately things will get solved at the ballot box. Um, and I get that things can go wrong and there can be accusations of wrongdoing and whatever. But like, um, that's why I think this election is important. Um, and whoever people want to vote for, I, I really don't care. Um, but like, when people say no, but it's all just a deep state and everything's, I'm like, it's not. Like over long periods of time, like these things will get, things solved so if for example digital currencies come and the feds or whoever know absolutely everything you do because they basically ban cash people will work out one day oh shit i really don't like that that's 1984 george orwell wrote about this now we've already worked this out because we're kind of ahead of the curve we know where it's going and covid just accelerates it because you see it in asia cash is dirty i don't want your cash governments love this mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not in any way governments pushing this it's just happened organically so they love it um but again, if people realize that, um, now at first maybe people are like, oh, I'm getting free money into that account. So I like all this. But then a few years go past and things go in cycles and waves and pe you know, people will work it out. Um, I, I don't believe we're just gonna be in a world where in effect, everyone's either employed by the government or paid by the government. Like, you know, it has to be private innovation, even though it doesn't always feel like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. The, the idea of a cashless society, it's, it's pretty much already here. And uh, it's going to be very, very strange and interesting to watch that transition happen over the next four or a couple of years, even more so. Um, yeah, there was a lot in there that you just shared, <laughs> trying to unpack it. Um, That's right. There's a lot going on. So, um, but look, to sum it up, like... Now, I, I don't know if you was going to want to hear, but like there's, whether you love or hate politics, the 3rd of November does matter. Mm. And, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It does matter. If you're interested in macro, it matters, period. Anyone that argues differently is deluded. Now, you can decide to just, some people I know are just like, you know what, I just, I'm just going to go basically 100% cash and just wait. Not many people think this, but there are some people, or, or just short-term treasuries, like, you know, three-month treasuries which are in effect cash right they're the same thing basically the same thing um yeah the, the amount they can go up and down is literally minuscule so um and so that's that's one thing some are doing so like well i just want to see what the hell happens and then you know what something's going to have got cheap and i'm going to buy the cheap thing after because yeah, at the end of the day when you invest you want to buy things when they're cheap and sell them when they've gone up which is the easiest thing to do and the hardest thing easiest thing to say the hardest thing to do because of emotion, like we talked about earlier. Um, you know, I, I'm more of the view that, well, you know, I don't really want to have hold, you know, too much allocation to cash for too long, just because actually, you know, this whole fiat, you know, slow debasement of fiat. Um, so I've gone more just like to be fairly hedged across all these different asset classes and just see what happens. Um, and then thinking, well, you know what, some will go up, some will go down. But I will live to fight another day, whatever happens. Sure. Um, and I'm not using this. Some people will be like, you know what? This is exactly the moment to make some big, big bets. Um, and um, which is, for example, what I did before COVID. Well, sorry, in like January, Feb, because in Hong Kong, it was fairly obvious to work out. We got different media here, right? And so, and it was, we were hearing stuff from China and it wasn't that hard to work out, especially when it spread to Iran and Italy, that this thing was going to go everywhere because mm -hmm. um, I mean I, I know people in Wuhan I spoke to them like, and like 
So that was a really interesting time where people in Asia had an advantage because they sort of knew this thing was going to go across the world. Um, and at the time, you know, the, the most obvious thing that would happen immediately was rates would be cut to zero in US. So that was kind of an obvious trade to make back then. Um, right now, I, 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 you know, the, the kind of equivalent obvious trade to me is like probably the, um, it, it's probably the precious metal Bitcoin type thing in terms of like, if you believe there's going to be just tons and tons of stimulus, but it's not as clear cut because as we said, if the Republicans win the, the Senate or indeed if it's uh Trump wins Republican Senate, Democrat House, which is the same as now, then maybe there's no stimulus. So it doesn't seem as much of a slam dunk right now. Um, and if there is huge stimulus, certain stocks will absolutely fly. Um, but you know, Tesla can't be worth infinite dollars. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they actually have to build cars, make profit and prove they can make these better batteries and do all this stuff. Um, doesn't mean it can't hit 5,000, 10,000. Well, sorry, no, now they've done the split, like whatever, but maybe well, we still can, but yeah. um, who knows, right? But like, but I'm never gonna say, oh, I'm gonna put 80% of my money into that because you know, it doesn't, that, that, that seems kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and we might have a very, very weird, people are used to the election being the result known. You basically wake up the next day and it's known. It's the same in Europe. It's quickly counted. You know, I mean, everyone, AP has called everything and blah, blah, blah. Well, as you can probably see, I watched a bit, bit of mainstream media here in, in the US just to kind of, sort of just to make me laugh because it's kind of funny. But like, and I watched both sides of it, right? It's, if you watch a bit of Fox, then a bit of, uh, I don't know, MSNBC, it's kind of pretty hilarious. Um, but um, it is interesting that a lot of people are trying to, educate the American public that's like, well, actually it's pretty likely that it's not going to be known who wins, unless to your point, there's a really big, you know, sweep. Um, but if anyone's going to sweep on election day, it would be Trump because obviously the Democrats have got way more mail-in voting. But although of course, in many states, the mail-in voting can be counted before. In some states, it can't be counted until election day. So you have these like, you know, crazy things. And of course, the more swing states, you know, the our, Florida's, North Carolina's, Arizona, well, I'm not sure about Arizona, but a lot of the mm -hmm. more swing states you've got, um, <clears throat> the more kind of crazy rules. <laughs> like in the, it's just gonna take more time to get the result. That period could be very, very, very um, dangerous in many ways from, yeah. a, from a civil standpoint, because both sides are gonna be convinced they've won. That could be riots that make what happened over the last few months look like nothing, have no clue what the markets will be doing who knows um so but in that situation you just got to hope and you really got to hope it doesn't come down to like a partisan supreme court although i do believe they would if it came down to um i don't believe a republican stack supreme court which it will be and it will be six three or sort of five and a half three and a half because roberts but like even gorsuch and um kavanaugh are like seem to be people who you know what i don't think they're going to vote against democracy because if they do, the Supreme Court's toast the next time. The Let's say they put Trump in when it was pretty clear he didn't win, um, which is a, po a possible scenario. I mean, it's one of the reasons they want to get Comey Barrett on it now. Um, I, I, maybe, uh, maybe it happens. But, you know, the 2000 decision was, you know, it was incredibly tight. You know, it was, like, it was, it was totally crazy how close it was. 
Um, but if it was just blatantly obvious by the mind and like, then there's some weird Supreme Court thing that goes against democracy, the Supreme Court's done. And also Congress may ignore them. They'll say they don't actually have any power to Supreme Court, really. They can, as someone said to me the other day, they can, they can put a judgment out on a PDF and people adhere to it, but they don't have to. And there have been times in the past where they did not. Um, so I, 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 I'm not buying the conspiracy theory that, um, um, that, you know, that some weird deep state thing is going to like actually change the result of the election. But if it's incredibly close, sure, like 2000, then yeah, it, it could be important. Um, but anyway, no one's talking about Supreme Court anymore. So that was like last week, right? Yeah, yeah. On to the next thing. It's... <laughs> President has it's COVID. Totally yeah, my brother was... Next week, who knows what it will be, so... Yeah, my brother, my brother had to flee Bolivia because um, he was living down there when uh, their whole election debacle happened with Evo Morales. Um, so I think that, that was an interesting perspective on what could potentially happen over here. But yeah, uh, going back to your point, I think one of the most important things to have during this time is just you know, that attitude of curiosity and a sense of purpose and meaning. Um, one of my favorite books I've ever read that I read pretty frequently, um, almost yearly, is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, okay. And he's a, are you familiar with it? I have not read that book. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll so, check it out. So he, he is a psychologist that went through the Holocaust and survived it. Um, and through his experience of surviving that, uh, he ended up re writing this book and developing this whole branch of uh, psychology called, uh, what's it called? Logo theory or something, logo therapy or something like that. But that was one of the things that he talked about um, pretty adamantly in the book is that we need to have a sense of meaning and purpose. And if we have that, we can bear any sort of, uh, you know, pain or confusion or overwhelming uh things that come our way and uh yeah i mean i think one of the reasons why i started a podcast was i just felt like it's one of the most useful tools out there to get really interesting really good perspectives from very smart people and present it to people in a way that they can uh consume it pretty easily because um especially in the city that I live in, because, you know, a lot of people just struggle with reading and uh, listening to audio and uh, breaking it down into small bits can be really helpful for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, that's, I, I just, it's refreshing hearing your uh, optimistic attitude, especially like living in a city that's been so chaotic for so long. Um, right. But it's also much less chaotic than, Right, I mean, I, I haven't spoken for probably a month or two with friends here about, I mean, there are no protesters, right? I mean, now of course someone will say, well, because they're all being like shut down immediately or whatever, but it's like, honestly, most of the people here were not happy with the protest. They're like, mm -hmm. this is really screwing up Hong Kong. And this was pre-COVID. So remember Hong Kong was having minus 35% year on year retail sales this time last year. And now they've had an, an extra minus 35% on top of the previous minus 35%, which gets you to like minus 60 or whatever. I mean, it's recovering a bit now, but like, um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it's a city that needs to be kind of open and um, you know, cosmopolitan and tourists coming in and, you know, 
it's a constant flow of people that that's what makes Hong Kong Hong Kong um, and so and that definitely slowed down so you know, no question the last years have been difficult I mean no one's trying to say it's been easy um, but um yeah um, but I also think you know on stuff like Bitcoin like so for example when I say be curious it's like so someone says like oh well China can just do a 51% attack on it. I'm like, okay, really? Can they? Explain to me how. And then 99, oh no, 19 out of 20 people you say that to will look at you and they have absolutely no idea beyond, oh, well, don't they just to hold on minors? I'm like, okay, please explain to me what happens next. When, by the way, 10,000 Twitter bots immediately say there's a block that's wrong <laughs> and everyone in the rest of the world is all of a sudden gonna like, you know, whilst there's not a written down plan, there are thousands of people who are gonna immediately start working to resolve this. And I bet you within a few hours or even days, it gets, and there might be a few, Bitcoin might have a problem for a day or two, but then it will get resolved and they'll ignore these blocks and whatever. Because, and again, you'd say, well, that's not fully decentralized. Well, actually it is, there's no one actually orchestrating it. It's just mm -hmm. like, you know, like the, I don't think China would ever do that because they actually know now that the threat they might is much more important than if they try and then it will fail because then they have no threat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think they're incredibly smart and they will not try that. So I'm not worried at all about the fact there's roughly 60% of hash power in China, but give it a few years. I mean, you know, th th that will change anyway and it will be far below. Um, it used to be a much even higher number. Um, but again, just being a little bit more curious versus just, you know, the, the mainstream media thing is, well, that can just happen. And then no journalist really ever writes about, well, what would really happen under this, you know, this, this, the, the scenes or, you know, um, I, I think the one most obvious attack vector is, is if, and I don't think this would happen, but if governments really coordinated and stop fiat to crypto, like um, you know, if you were not allowed to move money onto Coinbase in US dollars um, and, and all governments at the same time did, clamp down on this in a very coordinated manner that's probably the weakest point right now why because it's when it actually interacts with the current system now when will all governments in the world agree to do anything well literally never um but um and so i don't think that will happen but um you know the, the, you know they're the, the um uh but again i don't like just dismiss it because you know you want to there have been times that you know but then you dig into it and it's like, well, okay, well, say US did that. Well, you know what, somewhere like Switzerland or parts of Europe or whatever are like, no, no, we're fine with it. So you come here and like, you know, the, the, the people are gonna always, um, countries will, and especially some slightly smaller countries be like, oh, this is our chance to kind of go up in the world. You know, we can get a, a leg up on some of the big slow guys. Um, and, and also just look at places like India, you know, they theoretically sort of banned a bunch of crypto trading, but the Supreme Court actually struck it down recently. And now they're trying to do another thing. And it's just like, it's, um, it, it, it just, I, I, I don't overly worry about stuff like that, but I do kind of like, you know, try and play the war games out in your mind about what, you know, what can happen. Um, also, I don't think any of this is gonna happen unless it was a vastly larger asset class anyway. I mean, in $200 billion, yeah. do you really think anyone cares? I mean, the, the Fed printed that in one day, by the way, back in March one day <laughs> like peak yeah. day was about that so like no one cares now don't get me wrong if it's 20 trillion people might care yeah yeah and and it's it's not even if they did make it illegal there's really 
that that's what separates uh, Bitcoin from a lot of other things is, you know, you just can't, nobody can shut it down, um, or at least from what we know. Yeah. But, but what's interesting is say you make it illegal that, okay, so who's going to care more, old people or young people? Well, young people are going to be more annoyed about that because yeah. they own more. I mean, no one knows exactly who owns what, right? But every survey shows that every, you know, people in the 20s own more than people in the 30s, more than the 40s, more than people in the 50s, and people over 60 own very little as a percent of their net worth. Um, and so ultimately, you're going to start annoying. And let's just say it keeps just getting more adoption. There's also a point where it gets adoption and people care about it enough, uh, young people that, and by the way, that will vote based on this matter. Like, my dad doesn't care if Bitcoin's allowed or banned. He doesn't care. But like, um, again, like if governments, and again, it doesn't have to be in the US. It could be that Europe says, well, actually, no, we're not going to do that. You know, it's actually allowed here and we want innovation. Um, but like the Gen Z and millennials are going to be the largest voting groups as boomers start to, in effect, die off, which is a morbid thing to say. But the average boomer is 65. That means some boomers are 70, you know, that. Uh, or older and that is going to happen and politicians have amazing uh generally politicians in the west are amazing at, at changing you know changing their mind on a dime when public opinion suddenly changes mm-hmm. i mean they're incredibly yeah. guilty of that yeah so i'm not too worried about that um and i don't worry about a te- I, in some ways it you know there could be a technical issue. It's possible, like just a just a just a real bug in the code. Um, that can always happen in code. Now it's there's a lot of the reason Bitcoin doesn't innovate that fast. You could argue is because they're really really sure that the code's not going to lead to bugs. But you know when there's future soft forks, hard forks, whatever, there are absolutely moments where things can go wrong. Um, but it, it's been really solid on that so far, um, and that's where having hundreds of people and but again, the number of people that actually can upload new changes to the Bitcoin code is not a not a massive number of people. It's not hundreds of people. It's a smaller number. Um, so, you know, it's the other way of looking at it is what's um yeah. So th- th- it's got some things that could go wrong with it, but then it's got so much stuff going right for it. Everything gets digitized in our world. So why the hell wouldn't you know? And things get digitized, and ultimately, I think when big tech gets broken up, which it will at some point, because they're just too powerful, although people have said this about Microsoft for 40 years. Um, I like what Jack Dorsey said the other day in terms of Twitter being a discovery platform and really what the actual content should just be decentralized so it's kind of can't be removed in effect. Um, And he said some really interesting stuff. I think it was literally a day or two ago. Um, And that maybe that's when people start understanding what decentralization is. now, of course, there's downsides in that once something's uploaded, you can't get rid of it, and it might be a bad thing. So, yeah. um, but all, all, you know, all these things will probably get worked out. Mm. But yeah, good to be positive. Yep. What are? Yeah. Yep. What are what are your, some of your favorite resources for learning, or or books, or podcasts? Yeah. So I um. So I pay for a little bit of research. It's more of people that crunch data. So I don't have to. So Hedgeye I use, um, which is um, and again, there's, don't don't judge Hedgeye by Keith McCullough, the CEO's tweets. He's putting a tiny portion of stuff there. Like 
for like, I don't know, 30 bucks a month, whatever it is, you can get the macro show, which is a daily half an hour in effect kind of coaching thing about how to think through the market. And yeah, and there's other, I subscribe to more than that, but like, um, that's very useful. Um, and, but they're really behind it. There's a huge amount of data and they've got a team of 50 people crunching this stuff, which I just can't possibly do. So I use that as an input into my, into my thinking. Um, like uh, you and others, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Uh, I try and find, I don't want to listen. So when Raul came on my podcast, we both agreed the last thing we should talk about is his current macro review because he's talked about it like 20 other times. So we wanted to have a slightly, we sort of took it and turned it on its head a little bit and made it more about, you know, the mentality of if you're swinging, you know, for defenses and from, uh, to get huge returns in investing. Um, so I, I try and find like people I haven't heard of before. I'm not, I don't need to listen to, yeah, and I, whether it's, um, it doesn't really matter who it is, but if someone's saying the same thing 10 times, it's not that interesting. So I try and find people I haven't heard of before. Um, and I find a lot of podcasts by just listening to podcasts and people on the podcast are like, oh, I listened to this podcast. And mm -hmm. yeah. apparently that's like, it's very common. Ads in podcasts are basically useless. Um, as in ads that people put in them versus recommendations. Yeah. Um, and then I find, thin I find Twitter really, really interesting. So um, it's... Uh, Fintwit, you, you, you can be a lurker and that's fine. Um, and it's incredibly easy to work out the roughly 200 accounts that are worth following. Um, because all you have, to, you know, it's, it's really not that hard if you, you can do that in a week or two if you try. Um, and again, everyone will argue a different 200 accounts, but you don't need to follow 5,000 people. You can pretty much get um, what you need, but what you've got to make sure is you don't get the whole um, bias thing. So, you have to have people in your feed that you hate their view because, or you disagree. And if you block them or mute them, your feed will become its own meme. It will become your bias. Yep. That's the hardest thing. And I know in my feed, like there's more, I definitely have more people that probably lean towards some stuff, but, but take inflation deflation right now. I mean, I'm probably, in fact, there's probably more people in my feed that think there'll be more inflation before deflation, even though I think probably the opposite in the very short term, like in the next few months, not, I'm not talking about years and it's probably sure. very different. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, you know, the, it's too easy to, if, if you block too many people, I mean, there are people I know like Mark Cahodes who he's had to block like 13,000 people or something because he literally just gets unavoidably trolled by them. And it's just, he's hyper, it's just awful. So I kind of get it um and um and he blocked me once for no reason he because and i realized he'd literally just blocked he just went through and just blocked a bunch of people and i emailed him and said hey can i didn't actually do anything he's like oh sure don't worry about it and unblock me immediately but um um but i think most people like if people are blocking too many people they're probably trying to tune out other points of view and if you're trying to invest that's really dangerous yeah um, i also think do not listen to anyone like if, if someone's selling you a service Okay, so if it's like David Rosenberg at Rosenberg Research, okay, he's selling a service, he's done it for 30 years. It's a, I do subscribe to him too, it's a data service basically. He's gonna give you all the data out there. It's called Breakfast with Dave, it's really good. He's not giving you really trade advice. Um, and it's very much like, you know what? If you read that, it comes out every day, you can read it in 10 minutes. You're gonna know all the important data that's around. Um, 
you know, and, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But like, if you find yourself subscribing to like all these people who are trying to give you magic trade recommendations all the time, and that's their thing, maybe you should ask yourself, why are they doing that? Because if they're so good, shouldn't they be running, either they should be retired before they're 40, or they should be running a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. Um, but they certainly shouldn't be selling you stuff at 29.99 a month to, um, you know, for them to make you know, whatever up. And this obviously happened in crypto, like all the time in like 17, 18. Um, I'm not saying therefore they're all bad. It's just, you just gotta find the ones where you actually get real value. And the most important thing is to take all these data points and come up with your own thesis that you believe in, that you can be flexible on, but, but that fits your life stage, the risks you want to take, no one can tell you what to do. Because what happens is if people are like, oh, well, someone told me to buy this, then then suddenly like, the, and then someone does it, then they're like, in effect, trying to claim no responsibility if it goes wrong. As in, if, if someone tells me to buy Ethereum and it goes down and I start blaming that person that told me to buy it. Well, no, no, it's my responsibility. I click the button to buy it. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've got to remember that you, it's, your responsibility and no one else's no one else no one's forcing you to make these trades so being over reading too much of other people's research i think can be bad and can maybe you know, you've got to come with your own theories um but also if people can just speak to i i like speaking to on my podcast like the reason i got fed up this owner on was i'd been interacting with him on twitter and i think i was the first one he came on and like um because this was back in august the third or something or something like that, something like that maybe early August. And, um, and I like getting people on that are not so well-known that have interesting point of view. Now, of course, you'd say something like Raul, super well-known, sure. But I kind of try and balance it between the two. So there are people on there that people who are um, running businesses, for example, like one guy is in, runs a call center business in Atlanta. Well, you know what? His view on PPP and all this stuff was fascinating because he's actually day-to-day saying, I cannot hire people because the government's paying them more money than I can pay them. So like, I can't staff my call center. It's nuts. Um, so I like, you know, and, and so whilst you might read about that in the mainstream media sometimes, you know, deep diving into that for an hour, that was a guy called Sterling Cox. That was, I thought, super interesting. Um, so if people can have the luxury, and the nice thing about having a podcast is, the reason I started mine was to, um, the real reason was, uh, well, there's two reasons. One, I wanted to help people understand some of the craziness that's going on, or at least try and help them. But two, I knew I'd be able to speak to interesting people. And I could, uh, the questions I asked them, by definition, are going to be questions I think are interesting right now. So I'm going to get kind of interesting points of view, which may or may not agree with what I think. Uh, and it's kind of a, you know, a way that in effect cost me nothing <laughs> to kind of speak to really smart people so um it's you know everyone can't just pick up the phone and speak to her all i get that but like um but speaking to people so if you're in tucson try and speak with people you, you must know some people outside or do some networking it's amazing if you take an interest in someone they'll probably speak to you i mean sure you can't do that to like donald trump he's not going to reply on twitter but like do some research on someone you think is interesting and say, hey, I listened to this. It was really fun. If we have a 10 minute chat, I'd just really like to ask you this. I did that to Lacey Hunt, Dr. Hunt. I just emailed him randomly and he did reply and said, sure, I'll like, here's my number. And we, we had a chat and it was super helpful. He didn't need to do that, but he's a really good guy. Um, and I emailed him questions that I thought were relatively smart and he would therefore know I've done a little bit of work on it and 
Um, but again, this is about being curious. So, um, sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. So, no, I like it. That's good. Yeah, speak to people and find data and come up with your own ideas. That's the key thing. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the beautiful things about Twitter is so many people have their DMs open, and if they don't, they'll have like an email you can get on their website. And that's how I found everybody for these interviews. Um, it's just yep. trying to learn. And and I really liked what you said about uh, not allowing yourself to get into your little echo chamber and just um, have confirmation bias. I mean, that's one of the reasons I follow Peter Schiff and, you know, really appreciate uh, dissenting views from what I believe in. Um, I mean, I'm a hardcore libertarian and I'm in an economics program at a state university. So it's going to be very Keynesian, Keynesian yeah. which is the exact opposite, but um, yeah. But it's an interesting experience, you know, when you interact with different people and different cultures, uh, you get a different perspective and there's no like real black or white. Um, some, some areas there's black or right, white, or just my personal opinion, but yeah, create a more rounded viewpoint and, uh, and learn. Oh, yeah. And the other point is, is, is if you're in America, please speak to people outside of America, mm -hmm. please. Yep. It doesn't mean you have to speak to people. Okay, so we're 15 hours apart. Well, that sounds really scary, but it's not really. It's my morning. It's your early evening. It's actually not that difficult. So, um, but it, there's always a way. I mean, on Twitter, you, okay, you might know where someone is or not, but also you've got to remember when you're seeing tweets, it's people who are generally closer to you in time zone, right? I mean, if you're West Coast, sorry, East Coast in New York, let's say, well, it's 12 hours to basically China time. So actually you're going to miss each other a lot. So you're actually just going to miss a lot of the tweets coming from East Asia. Um, just because you're just, they're just not coming at that point in time. So you've actually got to remember that. And like, um, so, because again, as long as the world is roughly a sphere, <laughs> it's turning, it's going around the sun, like we're going to have time zones. Um, and, you know, getting... And again, it doesn't mean you have to be best buddies with 58 people across Asia or whatever, but like just having other points of view. Um, and um, because I think mainstream media is terrible everywhere in the world, um, you know, and I, just with, with just no exception. I mean, it's just awful. Um, and so, you know, you just, just, you just can't build a worldview based upon what you, you know, you read. Um, but um. But yeah, I agree. I think Twitter Twitter is well worth. Um, I mean, I basically really don't use any other social media anymore. Um, I find LinkedIn really hard to use. It's kind of really clunky. Yeah, Facebook's just gone. Whatever. LinkedIn's just become everyone connects with everyone. I've got like ten billion connections. Like, so I did. I, I had a look. I, I, I subscribed to the um, like the, the the pro product, whatever it's called. I can't remember what it's called. And you can get it free for a month or whatever. You can't get it free for two months because if you um, little tip for people, you can um. After one month, if you cancel, they say, oh, we'll give it to you for another month. So you can actually get two months for free. It's $100 a month, so it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, and I realized that I had, once you get through about 5,000 connections, um, you are literally connected to everyone on Twitter. Sorry, not Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, are at least a third degree connection. Because I went to my third degree and I had like, whatever it was, 500 million. And I went to my friend he had basically the same number within like literally a few. It was like nuts. And it's like, and then you look at how many users LinkedIn is, it's the same number. So once you get to a certain amount, you're actually connected enough that you can sort of get to anyone. And then it's sort of, um, 
yeah, so I, I never found it massively useful. And um, I don't know, and I just think Facebook's got a long-term problem, so. <laughs> Facebook is, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of a toxic environment for sure. Right, but at least it's I, I just think, about. yeah, come. I just think it's the way the algorithm works because a lot of the posts just don't get, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of it, but it's not, you're not rewarded based on quality, you know, and people finding it interesting, like you are on Twitter or Reddit. Um, right. And- right. But also luckily, I mean, honestly, I haven't heard this time four years ago, you were hearing about Facebook all the time in the election and we are actually not hearing about it. That's a good thing. Like the fact we're not hearing about it. Oh, okay. There might be a bad thing that there's loads of weird stuff happening underground. Uh, which is possible too but i think social media was more in the spotlight four years ago than it is now or maybe there's just so many other crazy things happening in 2020 that we're just ignoring that type of stuff yeah you may have spoken too soon we might hear about facebook this week <laughs> oh yeah it'll be like the big thing next week or something you know, zuckerberg will ban something off now he's gonna stay well out of it i'm pretty yeah. sure but... he's done a pretty good job yeah he's i he's stayed out the limelight recently yeah that was mm-hmm. Putting his head in the sand, yeah. yeah. I, I, he needed to do that. So, which is also what Vsauce has pretty much always done. Like, okay, I get he bought the Washington Post and whatever, but like at the end of the day, he just grinds away and builds the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, really. So Google founders are the same. I mean, <laughs> Tim Cook's the same. Like, they don't want to be in the limelight, um, but you know, they, they they're gonna. Yeah. If you extrapolate everything right now, there's going to be five companies left in the world. <laughs> like, or maybe six, like three American companies, three Chinese companies, and that's it. And they're going to do everything. That's not going to happen. So yeah. there's going to be a, at some point, there will be some form of backlash, probably led by governments. Um, because you know, you, it's getting increasingly hard to, if you want to start a company in tech that requires data to be good, it's very hard to compete with the big guys. Um, really really hard yeah yeah absolutely well i really appreciate uh your perspective on things where where are some good other than the podcast where are some good places for people to follow you i mean i'm basically just twitter so i'm at at darky 999 my surname is dark i'm aware this is not the smartest name to have these days but i've been called that since i was five years old um (laughs) so (laughs) um and yeah, I'm, and I'm pretty active. My DMs are open. Um, that's how we connected. Um, I tend to, I, I, if it's a crazy DM, I ignore it, but anything else, I accept yeah. and more. Um, yeah. So, and I, I, you know, I'm not overwhelmed by them, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm very happy to, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I put a whole bunch of different stuff on them. I mean, it tends to be macro stuff, but right now I'm annoying people. I can tell when I put a certain thing on politics up, like literally you lose like 20 followers just like that. It's kind of hilarious. Um, but I think four weeks before an election, if you ignoring politics, it's probably not that smart either. So. Yeah. It's those people's losses. They're just retreating to their echo chambers. But. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but um, you know what, whether, okay, well, as I said, I don't actually just do not care if Trump or Biden wins, but let's say Biden wins, at least we don't have to, have this daily nauseating, just pumping and just bullshit. Like if we could just go back to the president being a president and like, you know, 
there's no way Biden's going to be like constantly tweeting about this stuff. Like, oh, is there a trade deal? Is there not? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, maybe it's a sign of the times, but, and by the way, maybe people aren't going to like that because maybe it reduces volatility. I don't know, but like, um, yeah, it's, um, it, I think it's gone a bit nuts when one tweet can, blow your position up in two seconds and by the way he could just be lying anyway so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's driven a lot of people nuts so. i think one of the funniest things that could happen is if I, I would love it if he started pumping the stock market and the sec went after him i mean that wouldn't ever happen but it would be pretty funny but yeah well uh thanks for stopping by chris and i i, I, I mean a lot of people are like, oh, he, if he doesn't win, he'll be in jail. It's like, I do not think the Democrats are going to go mm-hmm. on a... It, when you have a transition of power and then you try and put the previous person in jail, I mean, if you went and shot someone, fine, that's different. But for, like, stuff that, you know, it's not a good look. I don't think Biden's going to go there. It's a really bad look. Um, yeah. Nixon didn't happen. He got that pardon in effect, right? Like, like it's just not a good look. Uh, and, and it will cause other forms of violence and riots and whatever. Um, I mean, again, if I know he famously said he could shoot someone in New York and get away with it. Now he couldn't get away with that. But like, but when it comes to these, you know, whatever it is with, if it's SEC, it's securities fraud, or if it's like, you know, the tax stuff or whatever, it's, I, I just think it's going to get swept up, just move on. Um, and then it will be very interesting in that scenario, what do the GOP do next? Mm-hmm. That will be very, very, very interesting because they have to somehow, if that happens, they have to have a plan for the future. McConnell is not going to run it forever. <laughs> so, like, um, is it the Tom Cotton direction, or is it Hannity? Is it right? Is it Hannity? Is it uh, is it an Obama esque person who's more in the center and what? Who knows, right? We don't know. Um, that will be very, very because if they get that wrong, they could become irrelevant for a long time because there's just demographic shifts in America that are happening. The fact that some people are even thinking right now, Texas might be in play. Now, I seriously doubt that's going to be a Democrat, but the fact that that's even a conversation is kind of pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Oh. But we will see. We will see. Well, 2020 is almost over. It'll be interesting to see <laughs> Thank how God. 2020 Oh my God, imagine if 2021 is worse. I mean, like, like I say to people, like when you make a trade, you should be 50-50 the next, it's 50-50 the next day, it will go for or against you. It's just simple math, right? If the trade's market price, roughly right, it actually is going to be 50-50 the next day if it goes for or against. Well, is there actually any reason 2021 has to be better than 2020? It might be worse. No, it might be worse. <laughs> but either way, there's bright things in the future. That's all right. It'll be fine. I'm, yeah. I don't really think it can be worse. But yeah. Well, thanks for stopping by, Chris. No problem. It's been fun. So- I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Chris Dark. I really did. Make sure to check out his podcast. Follow him on Twitter. He's a really cool guy and has his DMs open. If you have something legitimate, he will respond, and it will probably turn into a conversation that really adds value. He's definitely a resource that I will use in the future. And, yeah, um, make sure to support the podcast by leaving a review it really helps to uh, get the stuff I'm doing out there for other people and if you want to support me and what I'm doing with the podcast 
check out my website. You can donate Bitcoin um, or not. I mean, there's a lot of good resources on there, and I'm updating it regularly. But, yeah, thanks for listening.